This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is The Damage Report. I'm John Iderola. David Schuster joins us. It's been too long. David, how's it going? <laughs> I'm alive, and uh, any week that I can spend uh, even a day with you, John, is a is a good week. So I will not complain Thank about you. the horrible weather here in the Northeast. I will not complain about the puppy that's driving us crazy, not letting us sleep. I will not <laughs> complain about the schools or anything else. I am just happy to be here. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here. Sorry for the conditions uh, going on. Uh, on in, on the good side, where you're at is frozen. Ergo, climate change is a hoax. So that's good. It's one <laughs> less thing to worry about going forward. Anyway, sorry, I'm just trying to appeal to any conservatives who might have accidentally come across the stream. For the rest of you, thank you for being here. And those of you listening in the form of a podcast, thank you so much. You made the wise decision to tune in today because we have some wild news to talk about. Not only fascinating updates on some stories that we've been tracking, including Donald Trump. He's got going kind of what I see as like a legal Brewster's Billions situation where he seems to be trying to be forced to give as much money as possible to E. Jean Carroll. We're gonna talk about the next steps in that. Uh, Alina Haba once again failing, gonna be a lot of fun. But we're gonna lead off with a story that I find fascinating. We don't have a lot of details on it, but just wait until you see this. And that's just in the first hour of the show. Coming up in the aftermath, uh, hopefully we'll have time to uh, put Dunkin' Donuts on trial in the damage report court. That'll be a lot of fun. We've got the return of meanwhile in news from Ireland, the UK and Kenya, a lot of fun there. And uh, hey, if there's time, maybe we can take a little bit of a break to talk about TikTok. Obviously something I'm an expert on. So buckle up for that everyone. And with that, why don't we get into our first story? Dramatic news about Representative Nancy Mace. And it has to do with January 6th, the topic that she has often popped up in commentary around. And I'm gonna remind you of a few of the things that she had to say about January 6th early on. But in this case, what we have is three different sources, apparently who had worked for Nancy Mace, who have revealed that on just her third day as a Congresswoman, when, of course, the insurrection began and people began to rampage through the Capitol, she had a plan. And the plan was, according to three sources, to go out there, confront the protesters, and intentionally get punched in the face. That's what they said. An aide said she literally begged us to let her leave the office and head to the floor so she could, quote, get punched in the face and, quote, get media attention. That's word for word what she requested. The source continued that there were several of us in the office who heard it. Multiple sources talking to the Daily Beast saying this is what she wanted to do. And I think this is the most fascinating news possible because there are so many different potential explanations for why she would wanna do that. Remember, she has been, up until recently at least, a little bit of a critic of Donald Trump, a little bit more of a critical voice. She'd previously in this race been calling for a new voice. 
Now she is endorsing Trump, so she's sort of moved back into the MAGA fold. But that wasn't her natural place to begin with. So was she going out there to confront what she actually saw as Trump supporters to present herself as a brave, bold defender of democracy? Was she going to be attacked by them and then claim as many did that it was in fact provocateurs or Antifa and she was standing up against a, you know, a rampaging left that was trying to smear Donald Trump? I have a lot of theories, but David, I want you to jump in. Do you buy this story? It has three sources. Do you buy it? And what do you think was the thought process here if you do? So I definitely buy it. Um, my armchair psychologist in me would have a field day with Nancy Mace and her ego and her id. I think it's been clear for the last you know several months that Nancy Mace is what we would call a media whore. She loves the attention. She was the woman who wore the scarlet letter A, under not understanding what that really meant. About a week after she voted to vacate the chair and get rid of the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and she was one of eight Republicans to do so, and she got pilloried by a lot of Republicans. And so she wore this A around the Capitol for a day as if somehow voting against McCarthy was the same as adultery and the shame of all of that in that book that clearly she had never read. So she's somebody who loves the media attention. She is somebody who probably, yeah, I'm sure she was trying to figure out at the time that this was happening, how can she leverage this? How can she take advantage of this? For her, did she really want to get punched in the face? I don't know necessarily about that, but I think she wanted something to happen and maybe somebody to record it so that her sudden fame would then skyrocket and she could be the sort of celebrity that I think she wants to be. Yeah, I that ties into another story having to do with her, which I'm everybody stay tuned. I'm gonna bring that up and I delight in being able to do so. But first, I will also say, if this is true, then it gives sort of a, a window into what she thought and maybe what other Congress people thought the nature of the insurrectionist was. In that, like she didn't appear, if this is true, to think that they were murderous. That if she went out there and got attacked, that she might literally be sexually assaulted, she might be murdered, she might be killed barehanded by this crowd, who at this point was already trying to beat cops to death, were trying to tear down the barricades as guns were pointed at their heads. She apparently thought she could go out there and just get punched in the face. So is that misplaced bravery or is that not getting the actual threat that this crowd posed? What do you think, or am I overthinking this? No, I, I think that's, that's a really important point because I think for certain members of Congress, they did look at this not as sort of a violent insurrection, but they just thought, okay, people have broken through the lines, they're parading through the Capitol, they shouldn't be here, but it's not such a big deal. Certain members of Congress, <clears throat> that was their experience. Other members of Congress saw the mob chanting, hang Mike Pence and wanting to literally kill Nancy Pelosi. So there's a much more sort of violent fringe that they saw. Again, I think maybe Nancy Mace wasn't really thinking so much about how dangerous or not it was, but she was so focused on herself and creating a name for herself and being able to sort of step up in the way. You think about when Steve Scalise got shot at a softball baseball practice for Republicans, Steve Scalise suddenly became overnight like an international celebrity in terms of US politics, a guy who a lot of people had never heard of. And I think there's more than a few members of Congress who have thought, okay, I would kind of like to be that person who gets shot and survives or gets hit in the face and survives and suddenly that catapults you. I mean, think about Marion Barry, the former mayor of Washington. One of the reasons that he rose to fame, I think in the 1980s, 
He had he was literally shot. Somebody tried to kill him. He survived that and sort of rode that attention to become mayor of Washington, D.C. There is a certain cachet for lawmakers, for politicians who can survive literally having their life threatened. And I'm sure, not sure, but I'm 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 pretty much convinced that Nancy Mace, because of her own self-love and how much she thinks about herself and how mm-hmm. perhaps savvy she thinks she is with the media, saw an opportunity. Yeah, I think that that's probably the simplest and most accurate explanation. Uh, and I think, look, I don't know how you escape this forever influencing how people see you. And by the way, everything that you do from now on, they go on in the article to talk about how her she was putting pressure on her team to put out a press release every day about whatever. She's not doing anything. Just put out press release. Make sure the media is talking about me. Book me on a TV show every single day. She is not alone in this. There are many Congress people that seem to think that being on Fox News or hosting a podcast is like the be all end all of being an elected government. Forget the legislation, the committee hearings, meeting with constituents, constituent services, things like that. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to talk to the media. But like this goes, I think, beyond even that. And it also makes some hypocrisy from early in her first term, I think, even worse, because many people probably will not remember this. But um, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, she went on a podcast and she talked about how she was ready to go out and fight to defend herself. And then the Republicans largely turned away from being critical of Donald Trump and being critical of the rioters. And suddenly being one of those Republicans that took seriously what was happening on January 6th was no longer in vogue. And at that point, you might recall that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did an interview where she talked about her experience on January 6th. And she talked about the absolute dread, the overwhelming fear that she experienced that she could die on that day or that she could be raped on that day. For context, she's already talked about her experience that she is a survivor of sexual assault. And she talked about how horrified she was about what could happen to her. And at this point, remember, the right had been fetishizing and vilifying her for multiple years. The idea that this crowd would be particularly brutal towards her makes all the sense in the world. And after revealing that, Nancy Mace came out and attacked AOC, called her a liar, implying there was never any danger to you. You weren't in any danger. Why are you trying to make this about you? Why are you trying to center yourself on January 6th? And when she did that, we now find out that's like a month after she considered throwing herself into the crowd to center herself on January 6th. So she was willing to imply that a, a, a survivor of sexual assaults, fears of sexual assault were just self promotion when she wanted to get slugged in the face so she could get on Fox News. Yeah, she, is, she is one of the worst hypocrites in Congress and deserves well, way more criticism than she's getting. And I think there's also maybe a certain amount of projection that we're seeing here. And again, not to delve too much into psychology, but there's Nancy Mace. We know that perhaps she regretted. She regretted not somehow throwing herself out there, not getting punched in the face, not somehow being a victim so she could have her media star rise. And all of a sudden she sees, well, there's AOC talking about legitimate fears that AOC has. And that triggers a Nancy Mace and a, a, a sort of a, a loathing because not just of AOC, but just because, well, I really wanted to have something happen to me. And now all of a sudden AOC is getting some attention because Alexander Ocasio-Cortez had legitimate fears. Yeah. About what was going to happen on January 6th. And that sort of triggers something in Nancy Mace that causes her to sort of go off. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, again, a psychologist would have a field day with Nancy Mace. And unfortunately, the constituents that she has in her home state, this is who was representing them somebody who was this not only hypocritical, but is this easily triggered and is this narcissistic? And that's yeah. really frightening. 
100%. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, well, she denies it, of course. I, I would if I were her too. Um, but again, multiple sources, I guess they're just out to get you. I guess all these people that used to work for you are just out to get you. And it's probably a deep fake or something. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, we'll see if we get more details coming out of this. But for now, we are going to move on to other news. A little update of something we've been talking about for a few weeks now. Whenever we're ready, we can jump into this. Tomorrow, you know where I'm going to be? I don't have to be there, but I want to be there because otherwise I can't get a fair shake. I'm going to be in court. Democrat. It's okay. So, so I go there tomorrow morning, leave early, or tonight I think I'm leaving late. I'll leave late. Thank you. She said I'm praying. I, I could use your prayers. All done by political opera. Reed Hoffman is sponsoring this woman that said terrible things from 30 years ago. He took me. I owned three, four buildings around it. I owned the hotel next to it. I took her a totally fabricated story. It's all fabricated. And the lawyer is a political operative. He used to be very close to Cuomo. Do you ever hear of Cuomo? And a political operative. Then you find out they fund it. And we had a special session on funding. And when the judge found out that it was true that they're funding it, he wouldn't let it as evidence, but that's okay. We could let that roll on and on and on and on. Somewhere Donald Trump is still talking about E. Jean Carroll as he ostensibly runs for president, but you get the idea. He seems dead set on making this uh, this uh, defamation trial as bad as possible for him. But I'll remind you as I always do that while the portion of the trial that he's talking about there is currently ongoing, his uh, allusion to the fact that he might testify is still possible. I find it hard to believe, but he could testify. We're waiting to find out how much money he's gonna owe to E. Jean Carroll. He has already been found liable. He's been found guilty of having sexually abused her and defamed her. Uh, he has already been told that making further claims that she is lying or fabricating these details constitutes further defamation. And he cannot go 10 minutes without doing it. As you saw there, he defamed her multiple times in that appearance. As we're gonna get to on Truth Social, every single day he goes on a bleat storm against her. But he is apparently not satisfied with just that, he wants to testify. And when he testifies, he is going to lie about her, he is going to defame her. And the judge and the jury will almost certainly be affected by that. And this could have a material impact on how much he ends up owing her. We have a couple of quotes from, from people being asked to evaluate what they think about the strategy of him testifying. This is John Jones, former federal judge who says it's like throwing gas on a raging fire at this point for him to testify. Sure, you can play to your base and use these things as campaign rallies and appearances. But the fact of the matter is it could generate a massive verdict against him. Chris Matai, an attorney who won, you might recall, against Alex Jones, a $1.5 billion jury verdict, a truly massive verdict said there is no halfway competent lawyer who would recommend to Donald Trump that he should testify in this case unless he was going to apologize and say that he had committed himself to never doing it again. We know that's not going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen. And the issue for Trump is 
He doesn't have a halfway competent attorney, he has Alina Haba. And so maybe he will end up testifying. And what already looked like it was gonna be maybe tens of millions of dollars that hello, that could potentially balloon. I don't know to what number, but David Schuster, what do you think about it? What do you think about the strategy that he's pursuing here? It's almost as if Donald Trump has has banked for so long and being able to ridicule and insult people who he sees as rivals that for him to suddenly be quiet now, that, that he would consider that somehow an admission of guilt. And so as a result, Donald Trump is overcompensating by not only continuing to defame her by doing it 20, 30 times on true socials, various media platforms, doing so publicly, even though all the lawyers are warning him, you're gonna go literally, you know, possibly in the 40, 50 million dollar range. And it's almost as if it's more important to Donald Trump. The money is irrelevant to Donald Trump, although I'm not even sure that he has that money. But to him, it's sort of like the principle of, oh no, I wanna continue to be right. I wanna continue to be able to be like my toddler self and insult anybody that I want. And nobody's gonna tell me to be quiet, not even my own lawyers. And I'm gonna prove to everybody that I'm not gonna be quiet by doubling down and doing it even more. It's kind of a weird sickness. Um, and I suppose we, we shouldn't be surprised. I think if you're E. Jean Carroll and her lawyers, you're just like ka-ching, ka-ching, and just keep records of every time Donald Trump opens his mouth and the number gets higher and higher. Yeah, I, I am just continually confused when we see stuff like what Donald Trump is doing and not just Donald Trump. It makes me very confused about, and I know this is gonna seem like a tangent, but um, about being rich. As a person who has never been rich, I have been raised and led to believe that it's a good thing, that it's nice to be rich. You can buy whatever you want. He doesn't seem to like it very much. And I don't just mean that he seems to be trying to get as much of his money to be taken from him as possible, but like he could just go and be rich. He could spend the rest of his life touring the world's most fabulous golf courses, eating the best food, racing Ferraris or whatever. Instead, he talks about E. Jean Carroll all day, every day. And it's not just him. Elon Musk seems to be completely unsatisfied with, you know, even far more wealth than Donald Trump has. Maybe it's not as good as we've been led to believe. Maybe it's deeply unsatisfying to be able to have anything you want whenever you want it. And instead, they just have this hunger for something to feel right or to feel superior. To feel attractive, I don't know what, but he seems like a deeply unhappy person. And in this particular case, it could end up really costing him. Yeah, and I think it's you know maybe the case that it's not the money that drives Donald Trump, although he's obviously been driven by money, but he he places a greater value on his sort of reputation, if you will, of being a counterpuncher his entire life. And I go back to an interview that he did about. Uh, sparring with uh, Muhammad Ali at one point and how proud he was that Muhammad Ali gave him a compliment. Donald Trump has always loved to be the person that doesn't back down and that counter punches, even if it's inappropriate, even if it's crass. And now as he's getting older in life and he's under the national spotlight again, he wants to make that even clear that he is the ultimate counterpuncher who doesn't care, who's not gonna listen to people who say, no, you gotta back down and go in your own corner because you're wrong here. No, he's not gonna do that because the moment he puts the gloves down and he stops counterpunching, then perhaps he sees himself as having lost because entire mm -hmm. his entire identity is about ridiculing, about punching back at people in the most inappropriate ways. And to prove to everybody that he's just as tough now as he ever has been, he keeps doubling down uh, and it's a weird, it's kind of weird, and I think maybe that's something about people who have a lot of money is that they realize their identity is not caught up so much in, in all the money they have and all the luxuries, but rather the persona they've been able to create about themselves. Yeah. 
such weird psychology. And unfortunately, yeah. like I, it would be great if we could just ignore it, but it's inflicted on us every day. Um, and he doesn't just want to be rich, he wants to be president. That's where it becomes the entire uh, country's problem. Okay, well, as I said, Trump does not have a competent lawyer. He has Alina Haba. And we have been, we've received evidence day after day that she's not good in court. Turns out, though, she's also not good at not being at court because she had the trial delayed earlier this week, saying that she wasn't feeling well and may have been exposed to COVID, which is on its face a very reasonable thing. To say we are, after all, in a big surge of COVID. It's not just COVID too; it's other respiratory illnesses too. And you know, people get sick. Uh, the issue is that she was spotted at Trump's New Hampshire victory party after delaying the trial over her illness. That was Tuesday. So, if she was really concerned about 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 being sick, she not only thought she might have been exposed, but she was feeling bad. She's at a big party, surrounding herself with people. You can see this photo. She was photographed of this thing. All dressed up, taking photos with people. Now, it could be that she has as little respect for most of those people as I do and is perfectly happy to expose them to COVID. Or it could be, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but maybe she was lying to the judge. Maybe this was just a way to delay the trial because that is at the end of the day, Donald Trump's only legal defense against any of these different cases that he's facing is, just hold my, hold my, uh, like, bide my time, and maybe I become president. Maybe I make this stuff disappear. I don't know for sure if that's why she did it, but I think it's as good of an explanation as anything else. David, what do you think? Well, I think when this began, it was first a juror who said that uh, the he or she was sick, and then Alina Haba added in, "Oh yeah, I'm sick too." And so that sort of became enough for the judge to say, "Okay, let's go ahead and grant this delay." Maybe she thought that because she was in this boat, not by herself. But because the juror had sort of started this theme about people getting sick, that it wouldn't really matter if she was not really sick and she just needed a break and wanted to jump at the opportunity to have a day off. And oh, by the way, there's this party in New Hampshire Tuesday night that I'm going to go to. So, and perhaps she just felt like she wouldn't get caught, or if she did get caught, it wouldn't be such a big deal because oh, the juror was sick. That was the reason we missed. But it does get to this point that it's sort of like, well, if you really aren't feeling well, even if the juror is sick, maybe you take some time yourself, make yourself feel better, work a little bit more on your trial preparation, considering the number of times you've been sanctioned and and punished punished by the judge. Instead, mm-hmm. there she is just as if, you know, I know lawyers on during trials, you never see them because they are working so hard until one, two in the morning to prepare for trial the next day. Alina Haba, not only does it seem like she's not preparing, but she's going off to political parties in New Hampshire, of which she doesn't have a role there, except unless she's got some sort of relationship with Donald Trump. It's weird. Yeah, I don't. I look. Donald Trump is a weird guy in a variety of different ways that could produce what we're seeing that on its face doesn't make sense. I understand what you're going at with that because you know Donald Trump and his whole history and everything. But then there's also the idea that he only values loyalty. He doesn't have a lot of people that he feels like he can trust. So maybe it's just he thinks Alina Hava is somebody he can trust. So now she's part of his inner circle. And like others, like Rudy Giuliani, now that means instead of focusing on the trials, you're going and giving campaign speeches. You're going to the primary. Like, what does New Hampshire have to do with his legal troubles that she's rep- she's a real estate lawyer? Why is she? At- but maybe maybe that's what it is. I don't know. What I will say is that while I continually I think am mocking her lack of legal ability, and we saw all the different evidence of how she doesn't know how to conduct herself at trial, she also more importantly doesn't know how to protect Donald Trump from himself. 
because he gives speeches like we showed you. And we alluded to his constant social media activity that is a daily reminder of how he continues to defame E. Jean Carroll. So let's do, I guess, something that's now become a hallmark of the show. Let's go through just a little bit of his recent bleats about E. Jean Carroll. Take a look at this. So you see there, just scrolling his feed, bleat after bleat after bleat. Long messages that he writes about her, snippets of interviews that she's done over the years, uh, screenshots of tweets that she sent out that have nothing to do with him. And it just goes on and on and on. In 20 minutes, he sent more than 37 messages about her. And I honestly don't even know if that's the most that it's been. This happens every single day. And I don't know which is worse. If he's the one doing this, the former president of the United States is every day just perched on the toilet, sending message after message about her. Or if he's paying someone to do this and someone's literal job is to smear a writer who he sexually abused. But it's one of those two things and I'm not a huge fan of it. We can, as we talk, we can go through a few of these, but just like it is so weird that he continues to be worshiped, David. This is well, who he is. This is a guy who's just running from a lifetime of crime and abuse and fraud. And they, it's not just that he's tweeting about this. So many of his followers, that's what their life is, is putting out videos of her and making memes of her. That he has drawn his whole cult into his past crimes. And Donald Trump depends on people like Alina Haba to enable this, right? Because Donald Trump says, "Oh, she's a lawyer, but she's a lawyer who is obviously a terrible lawyer. Real estate lawyers have mentioned she's the sort of person who's not going to say, oh, maybe Mr. Trump, maybe you shouldn't do this because it's going to cost you more. We're going to get sanctioned by the judge. This is a bad trial strategy. Instead, she is part of the game. She recognizes she doesn't want to be the person to say, no, Donald Trump, you can't do this. She wants to be somebody who says, oh, yeah, you know, be who you are, because that ingratiates her to Donald Trump. It gives her more power. It makes her part of the inner circle. And maybe if Donald Trump wins, maybe she becomes a White House counsel or attorney general. Who knows? But she's maybe. not going to be the person to say, oh, wait a second, Donald Trump, I need to protect you. That's not her job. Her job in her mind is to enable Donald Trump to be himself, to reaffirm that, yeah, it's okay to punch back, to counterpunch at Eugene Carroll, to tweet rage at her as often as you want, because this is unfair and you need to strike back. Any lawyer worth a penny would say, no, don't do that. Mm -hmm. You're only killing yourself in terms of your trial strategy, but that's not what Alina Hobb is about. She's about ingratiating herself to Donald Trump, being as a sort of sidekick and possibly riding it right into the White House. Yeah, and in the end, maybe she won't be worth a penny. Maybe she won't be paid a penny. It is Donald Trump after all, working for him is a major yeah. financial risk. Maybe she'll be disbarred as a result of this, that's <laughs> happened before. In any event, we're gonna see about whether he testifies. We're gonna see how much he can you know, ramp up the amount that he's gonna owe. We're gonna be tracking him. We are gonna take a break for now though. When we come back, we're gonna turn to the actual campaign. So don't go anywhere. Well, today's a fun show. Okay, with that, let's jump into more news. Apologies, we've gotta stay on the Trump stuff for right now because we haven't talked about the campaign, but we're going to. Donald Trump has arguably already locked up the Republican nomination, court cases notwithstanding. But if you think that that means that he will now turn to the general election, unifying the party and presenting himself as a serious and credible candidate, human being, man, 
welcome to American politics because that's not the direction he's going in. He is still regularly threatening his political rival, right wing pundits, and now anyone who even supports Nikki Haley, particularly monetarily. He sent out this message and I don't have the I don't have it in me to read the entire thing, but it starts with him calling her bird brain, which is obviously what a unity candidate does. But the important part there isn't where he talks about Nikki Haley and he talks about how she's losing, he talks about Joe Biden, he talks about literally everything in the world. He starts talking about donors and he says anybody that makes a contribution to bird brain. I don't know why that's in quotes. It is a contribution. I mean, look, I think it's corruption. If he wants to make the case that it is, then let's come together and ban money in politics. But that's clearly not what he's doing. He goes on to say, anybody that wants to make a contribution to bird brain from this moment forth will be permanently barred from the MAGA camp. We don't want them and will not accept them because we put America first and always will. So if you are a donor, and there are a lot of wealthy Republican donors who have donated to Nikki Haley, if you continue to do that, that's it. You are excommunicado from the MAGA camp. That is about as strong of a message as he could send. No, I don't know exactly what it would mean in practice for you to be barred, but maybe less access to the White House if he becomes president. Um, you know, maybe he turns against other candidates that you support. I don't know, David. What, what do you think that actually means in practice? Wow. I mean, this is a tough one because look, Donald Trump has always been about extreme loyalty to Trump. The moment you cross him, the moment you insult him or you run against him, you are persona non grata, you get the nickname, you get ridiculed, you get you know his supporters threatening you. And even though Donald Trump knows that he's in such a great strong position in terms of capturing the nomination, there's something about Nikki Haley though, the fact that she's still in the race after Donald Trump has these two wins that is driving him crazy. And so he's gonna keep putting her down, keep ridiculing her. I was a bit surprised that he made fun of her dress, that he essentially threatened her with extortion in his victory speech in New Hampshire, saying that he knows things about her that would cause an investigation. I'm even more surprised now that he would threaten the donors because he's gonna need those donors. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you wanna give money Nikki Haley, I'll beat you anyway, and then you're gonna end up giving more money to me. That's how a reasonable politician would do this, but Donald Trump's anything but reasonable. There's some sort of dementia, psychosis that's going on with Donald Trump, and he feels so threatened. And why? I mean, he's winning. So, you know, it's it's strange. And again, it suggests that the Republican Party is even more trouble than they know because these are long. Jessica Tarlov on Fox News had it perfect the other night. She said, look, this general election is going to come down to a few tens of thousands of votes, maybe in Pennsylvania, maybe in Michigan. Those votes may be women and independent voters who remember the day that Donald Trump made fun of Nikki Haley's dress. And suddenly they're like, I'm not going to support Donald Trump. That could be the difference. And that's why every time Donald Trump is doing one of these things where he is messing with Nikki Haley or threatening the donors, Democrats should be saying, thank you, thank you, keep doing it because that is going to cause women and independent voters, some of them, to say, I can't stand the drama with Donald Trump. I mean, I like Joe Biden, but it's a better alternative than the president, uh, than the former president, Donald Trump. Yeah, maybe. Um, you, I, I liked your analysis of he obviously doesn't like, you know, when people turn against him. But what strikes me as interesting about this particular case is, and we sort of gave him a weird version of credit earlier this week for this, is that he is brutal to people who are challenging him. And if you previously served with him, no matter for how long or how much he lauded you and complimented you, if you turn against him, you're now dead to him. You were never great. You're the worst, whatever. But but the the flip side of that is, like when Ron DeSantis endorses him, he immediately is super complimentary of Ron DeSantis and Ramaswamy and whatever. Like if you are a critic of him and you come back to the fold, 
he is weirdly accepting of that historically. And so that's what makes this seem a little bit weird. Like it would seem to be more consistent and make more sense for him to do what you said, which is, you know what, all of you, I think you're wasting your money with bird brain. She's not gonna win this. So waste your money if you want. And in the end, give it to me. You can come back, I'll pat you on the head, it'd be great. That would be more consistent. It would also be more, I think, pragmatic because he's gonna want their support and their money. It's almost as if it's it's the money more than like criticizing him. That bothers him, and I'm not sure why. Or perhaps I wonder if Donald Trump gets off, to pardon a phrase, if he gets off from the power that he has, that he knows that these, you know, these nicknames are sort of registering and making his audience laugh. He knows that he's probably going to win the nomination, so he can essentially assert his power over Nikki Haley's donors. And there's something about that, him throwing his power around, that maybe has such great appeal to him that he's like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this because while I have an opponent, I can sort of play with them the way a cat plays with a little mouse that they've captured. Maybe that's what's sort of motivating mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Um, and it again, I mean, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists would have a field day with Donald Trump and what he's doing and all of this. But there is something weird about Donald Trump. Not only does he enjoy the 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 counter punching, but he literally enjoys when he's ahead beating people when they're down. Um, yeah. So, yeah, could be. Well, I want to turn to some of the other um, aspects of this uh, serving as the disunity uh, candidate. Donald Trump, uh, having won in Iowa and New Hampshire, is starting to throw his weight around even more, demanding that everyone fall in line. And that comes in the form not only of attacking his former rivals, his current rivals, but also those in right wing media. Uh, we showed you earlier this week when uh, Kaylee McEnany just tried to give him some advice and he savaged her. Well, here is what New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, who spent a lot of time with Donald Trump and covering him, how she interprets why he did that. He called her a rhino for that, Republican in name only, and told her to save her advice for for someone else, for Nikki Haley. Because it's a warning shot to anybody else who might be around him, who is or who was once around him and is seen as having cred with the with the right and with the MAGA movement for saying anything that's based in fact that he doesn't like. That's all that is. And again, like she said that he was the presumptive nominee. She seemed to be sort of bowing down. But what Maggie Haberman said there is true. She also acknowledged that there were a lot of Republicans who didn't like him and that maybe he should try to court them. So it really was, she acknowledged reality and you're not supposed to do that. But it isn't just right wing media that he's pressuring. The pressure campaign on Senate Republicans is also on. They've been working in a bipartisan fashion for months now to work out some sort of deal with the president, with President Biden on the border and possibly Ukraine funding and a number of other issues. And he does not want that. He thinks that if Joe Biden gets any policy achieved, in particular, if he works with Republicans, so this would be a bipartisan thing, then sure, that might help with the situation at the border and in Ukraine, but it would be seen as a win for Joe Biden and that can't be had. So he's apparently pressuring the GOP senators behind the scenes to kill the border deal specifically and explicitly so that Biden doesn't get a win. And they are apparently not happy about this. There was what they're calling an emotional discussion in a closed door meeting. Remember, some of them have been working for months and they would like to deliver a win for Senate Republicans. Remember, the Republicans are trying to take over the Senate and have a good chance of doing it. They would love to be able to say we actually accomplished something because there's been so few achievements along the way. But that might hurt Donald Trump. And so maybe if they do that, they could see themselves primary, they could see themselves attacked by Donald Trump. David, what do you think about that? 
It's such a great example of Donald Trump puts himself above country literally in every single incident, every single story, every single development. There's Donald Trump saying, of course, you know, we've got this immigration invasion, as Donald Trump and his supporters like to say. And now they have an actual opportunity to do something. I would argue that it's not the invasion they suggest, and that maybe what the Senate is talking about won't have that much of an impact. But okay, some senators, some politicians believe it could actually mitigate the flow of people across the border. Well, if that's how you feel. Then why wouldn't you try to do that right now? Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it this very moment if this is such a big threat. And there are some senators who believe that action needs to be taken. So the idea that suddenly, no, we're going to kick the can down the road until maybe Donald Trump wins, not only is this bad policy wise, because now you're essentially encouraging this policy of whatever's going on on the border to continue, it's also bad politically. And I think a lot of Republicans know this that now, the Republicans not only will take ownership of what's going on the border, they will be seen for engaging in the crass political gamesmanship that Americans hate. And so it, mm -hmm. it undermines the ability of Republicans who want to be able to say, hey, Joe Biden's been irresponsible on the border, or there's too many people crossing the border, whatever they want to argue. They can't do that now if it's widely known among the American people that, well, you had an opportunity to do something on a bipartisan basis and you decided, no, you squelched that just because you want to wait. You know, 10 months or 11 months until Donald Trump might possibly be in office. Well, what's going to happen over the next year? So yeah. I just, I think there are some Republicans who recognize this is, this is stupid. Um, but, you know, there's Mitch McConnell, I guess, you know, changing his view on all this and saying, okay, maybe we defer to Donald Trump and it's, you know, it's going to divide the Republican caucus. You know, we're starting to get, I think, too many potential campaign ads for Joe Biden, but I think this should be one. Like he is single handedly trying to stop a border deal that would, from their point of view, from the Republicans' point of view, stop this invasion. This invasion, which from their point of view is leading to good white Americans being raped and murdered by migrants. That's what Donald Trump says is happening. That's what the Senate Republican senators say is happening. They're coming across the border, they are raping and killing you. And we don't want to do anything about it because it kind of would help Biden right now. So we're just going to let that happen for another year or so. I mean, that should be devastating to them. Um, we'll see if Biden runs with it. But uh, but as all of these examples have shown with Nikki Haley, with the media, with Senate Republicans, he is not the unity candidate. And this is who they are stuck with. They tried to challenge him. It hasn't worked. This is who they have. And not just now, but maybe going on into the future, maybe even for years after he has died, as predicted by Laura Ingram. Take a look at this. Look, this isn't complicated. If you want to be the Republican nominee in 2028 or 2032 or 2036, you're going to have to be able to credibly stand and say, Donald Trump did a fantastic job as president. He tried to do the best he could for this country. He was unfairly persecuted by the DOJ. And for that, we celebrate him and his accomplishments. And guess what? The voters are actually going to have to think that you meant what you said. Even though you probably won't, because that's ridiculous. So Laura Ingram supports Donald Trump. She's not being really clear there about whether that's just pragmatic advice to future Republicans, or she actually thinks it's a good thing that for decades they're gonna have to pretend that he was Reagan or something and laud him. And she's talking about 2036. I mean, that will be years after Donald Trump has already passed and his ashes will have been scattered on the escalator at Trump Tower or whatever. And still, they're gonna have to be bowing down to the memory of this guy. I'm curious, David, if you think that's how this is gonna play out 
Or will they be able to move on? Perhaps will they rally around a new cult-like figure? What do you think becomes of the Republican Party in future decades? Mm, that actually gets to a question that I was gonna have for you. And that I've been having a lot of people ask me, who will Donald Trump pick as his running mate? And I actually think this is a bigger deal than just you know, the, the flavor of the month or the year, what may happen in 2024, because I think whoever that becomes naturally becomes the heir apparent to the MAGA support, the MAGA world. And so there's been all sorts of people have been bandied about in terms of they might be, you know, Donald Trump's running mate and whether he goes with somebody more pragmatic and eventually like a unity ticket, like with a Nikki Haley, or does he go with somebody like a Tucker Carlson who once was sharply critical of Donald Trump, but has sort of come around to repeatedly kiss the ring. And I think though that that will sort of send the message to the entire Republican Party, this is who is my sort of heir apparent. But with that, because I was gonna ask you anyway today, Judd, who do you think is gonna be Donald Trump's running mate and why? I don't like I that is so tough because he is such a wild card. And there are a few like there are all sorts of crazy choices that he could make that would be totally consistent with who he is. But I do have to remember he picked Mike Pence the last time, who is not the absolute craziest choice. So there is always that chance that he will make maybe a somewhat halfway wise choice. I think the wise choice is Nikki Haley, I think it would show unity it would reassure the establishment republicans that you know it's not like if he suddenly keels over marjorie green becomes president or something um i think that it might help him with having a woman as a running mate a woman of color as a running mate that that for me would be the wise choice but but i still think that it is more likely that he's going to choose a flashier more dramatic choice a carry lake or Marjorie Green, I'm souring on as a possibility. I, I, I'm not sure. What, what do you think? Well, Marjorie Taylor Green looked like she was inebriated at his party the other night in New Hampshire when she was talking to the Right Side Broadcast Network, and she was just going off on Nikki Haley, perhaps for that very reason that she sees Nikki Haley as a threat to be the vice presidential running mate, as opposed to Marjorie Taylor Green, who wants to be, and so she feels the need to cut down Nikki Haley. And I think Marjorie Taylor Green may be even too hot in terms of what she creates, even for Donald Trump. Maybe. But I, you know, with with Donald Trump Jr. lobbying for Tucker Carlson. Um, I feel like that's, you know, that Ugh. could sort of be in play. And I do think, I think Donald Trump will not necessarily go with the unity, pragmatic Mike Pence, Nikki Haley sort of running mate. I think he's going to go full MAGA uh, and make a, you know, Carrie Lake or a, a somebody of that sort of vein. Uh, and that would be, you know, that would sort of be even more divisive even for the Republican Party. My guess, I don't, I don't see him going with Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. One, because I think that it still probably does bother him when it was revealed that Tucker Carlson was talking a bunch of smack about Donald Trump behind the scenes and hates him or whatever. But more importantly, I don't think he wants to pick someone who he sees as reasonably potentially eclipsing him yes. in terms of the attention of the right. And Tucker Carlson, I think, could potentially do that. Also, I think that we do have to be fair. We don't know for sure that Marjorie Green was drunk at the party. She could have just been doing a Janine Pirro impersonation. So I yeah, don't know for I, sure. yeah, just to I'm stress. Kidding. I mean, she appeared that way to me. That's just sort of my opinion. I wasn't there with a the breathalyzer, and she appeared that way to other people on social media who were taking note of her sort of slurring her words. But I she tweeted was that shouting well. into the microphone. <laughs> she definitely seemed sauced. That would be my evaluation. <laughs> but anyway, um, with that said, we're gonna take the second hour of uh, second the second break of the first hour of this show. We'll come back. More news after this. Okay, everybody, we're gonna end the hour with a dramatic story that potentially could have uh, an impact on the future control of the house. Let's uh, jump into this. A little bit of bad news for Matt Gates. The ethics investigation that he's been facing for what feels like 25 years 
uh, is heating up apparently according to the newest reports and maybe more important than the fact that they are doing new investigations or they're, they're talking to new witnesses is what they're focusing on. And it is the allegation of child sex trafficking, which is not the only thing he's accused of doing, but it is perhaps the most dramatic and the most serious. So two different people familiar with the investigation apparently told the Daily Beast that the committee is now zeroing in on the sex trafficking allegations. A person briefed on the work added that investigators have contacted a number of women at the center of the child sex trafficking probe, including the former minor who is considered one of the victims in this case, and that they expect the outreach to be returned in the coming weeks. The source said they're specifically looking at sex trafficking as well as drugs and payments. Of course, the payments are, I think, inextricable from the trafficking allegations. But they've apparently reached out to multiple new witnesses, as well as witnesses that had been a part of the previous Department of Justice investigation. Remember, of course, that the DOJ declined to actually move forward on this, which I think for a lot of people was seen as a signal that either there's nothing there or they didn't believe that they could actually prove it. If the ethics committee is really heating up on this, then perhaps they've come up with something, a witness or a statement that the DOJ perhaps did not have access to, or alternatively, it could fizzle out as the DOJ's investigation did. Matt Gates seems sure that it will. He says these allegations are not true. They've never been true. The people who have made these allegations have been exposed, indicted, and in some cases imprisoned, which is largely true. Although bear in mind the fact that a guy who says he was a part of this plot with you going down for it doesn't necessarily disprove it. It maybe actually implies that this is more serious than you want to admit. But that said, as of right now, the representative has not been found guilty of this. These are still just allegations. So with all that said, David, what do you think of this? If Democrats simply wanted to drag Matt Gates through the mud, this would be sort of a reasonable thing for them to do. However, they wouldn't be able to do it unless they also had some Republicans on the House Ethics Committee who also did not like Matt Gates. And that seems to be the case because the House Ethics Committee is divided. You can't just have one party decide, oh, we're gonna pursue this and you know make hearings out of it and drag witnesses in and all that sort of thing. So it underscores that Matt Gates is not particularly well liked among Republicans. Democrats see the wise politics in all this and that to the extent that they can hurt Matt Gates or get Republicans to have to defend child sex trafficking or whatever allegations Democrats wanna make, whether it's fair or not, that also then starts to undercut Republicans who are arguing on sort of the, the, the social wars about, well, we have to ban books, we have to protect our children, we have to go after pedophiles. Every time the Democrats can say, hey, the Republicans are total hypocrites on this and they have a sex predator in their midst or whatever Democrats want to allege, whether it's fair or not, that's smart politics. And again, I don't think there's any way that a House Ethics Committee goes where a Justice Department would not go. But Mm -hmm. if you have people on that Ethics Committee who see a political advantage in highlighting this stuff, whether it goes in there or not, and having some hearings and having some witnesses come in, they're gonna score political points. And that's a lot of what Congress does. Yeah, that and and that puts me in a weird position wherein, like a lot of people, I just want to know what actually happened. That that's all. And the thing is, you lay out there's so many different ways this could play out. It could be that he did it. It's hard to prove. So all we can do is score some political points. It could be we really don't know, and they're gonna score some political points. Or it could be that he's innocent. You know, it could be that he's totally innocent. But it's the the whole area is kind of dirty. He was linked to some people that are really shady, and and at the end of the day, he might be innocent of all of this. I I try not. I I don't think that I'm just in a bubble. I feel like the evidence that was presented early on is difficult to explain away. 
that he didn't do any of this stuff. Sorry, it looks like you want to jump in. Well, I was gonna say, even if he is innocent in a court of law, we're talking about the court of public opinion in terms of politics. And there is an advantage to Democrats and Republicans who don't like Matt Gates to portray him as immoral, as somebody who doesn't have core values or ethics. And so, yes, I mean, let's go ahead and have these hearings and and let's, you know, by the way, I think there's there may be something orchestrated about all this because it's not just the House Ethics Committee, which is, you know, ramping this up, but there are now people who are trailing. Matt Gates when he shows up in places like New Hampshire. And there was a guy who was trolling him the other day who pretended to be a reporter then said, hey, Miss, Mr. Gates, how old was the schoolgirl that you were last with? <laughs> and that gets picked up on social media. And again, it reminds everybody that he has this cloud, this scandal hanging over him. And to the extent that that scandal, that cloud hangs over him through November, that perhaps hurts other Republicans who are campaigning on we're the party of family values. Oh Yeah, really? What are you going to do about Matt Gates? Well, no Republican wants to answer that question. It puts them in a pickle and it hurts them politically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think your read of the politics of it is totally right. It's just that for me, like, like in theory, I could, I could do that. Could be my thing. You know, it looks bad for him. We don't know. I'm just going to focus on it because it hurts him. But like fundamentally, I, 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 and I'm just speaking for myself. I really want to know what actually happened. And if he did not do this, if he didn't, you know, if he didn't do the trafficking, if he didn't, um, you know, basically, like they, they, they throw in terms like child sex trafficking. We're talking about raping someone. That, that's what we're talking about. Um, if he didn't do that, then I think it is fundamentally unfair for him to continue to be smeared about that. Particularly when this is Matt Gates. there are all sorts of different things that you could attack him over. He's a really bad guy in a lot of ways. So I would rather choose something that's true. Um, but that said, he's denied that it's done, but he has never provided what I think are compelling answers to the weird Venmo receipts about why this guy that he had been so close to for so long was saying that he had done all of this stuff. Like it just, you're not providing a compelling enough defense for me to not think that there might fundamentally be something there. Yeah, maybe there is nothing more there because he's not coming clean. And and look, I'll be the first to admit that I'm also sort of enjoying the salaciousness and the titillating sort of suggestions that are out there. I would love for somebody to come clean and say, here's exactly what happened, whether it's you know Matt Gates who comes clean or some investigative reporter. Um, Matt Gates clearly wants to try to squelch this and not talk about it and bring any more attention. So he's gonna lash out at anybody, House Ethics Committee trolls anybody else who brings it up. But yeah, there are some unanswered questions out there. And to the extent that those unanswered questions continue to sort of be in the zeitgeist, that hurts Matt Gates. And I think a lot of Democrats and some Republicans know it. Yeah, and look, I, there are a lot of Republicans that are not fans of him and weren't before, let alone after this last year. They 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 really do seem to despise him. There have been a lot of reports coming out about that. And the thing is, like again, there are so many different reasons that you could not like him. You know, he's apparently a bad colleague. He causes a lot of drama. He also fundamentally doesn't really seem to care about being a congressman much of the time. He does a lot of media hits, but that said, he occasionally votes on the right side of something or. You know, sponsors legislation that other Republicans wouldn't. So it's just this really dirty mix. And at the end of the day, I just want to know. I want to know fundamentally what happened. That is unfortunately all the time we have for the first hour of the show. Thank you, everyone who's been listening and watching. For those of you watching live, there's more to come in the aftermath. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 